Good morning, Edinburgh. Hey, it's great to be here with you. And uh, if you are a guest with us this morning, I do want to give you as well just a, a warm welcome. For those of you who are watching online, so glad that you're tuned in and that you're with us uh, as well. This morning, even uh, just this week, I just found myself like excited for just being with my church family. I just found myself excited to be with you, to be here for this day, to just to hang out and uh, worship, hear God's word together. And so here we are, and I'm, I'm just uh, super excited. But before we jump into the message uh, this morning, I do want to just take a moment and, and feel like it would be appropriate uh, for us as a church to, to pray for the health uh, of the President of the United States. So would you, would you just be willing to bow your head with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, I, I know this morning that many of us come uh, on, on even different sides of the aisle here, but we do want to lift up uh, just President Trump to you right now, God. We're going we're gonna to pray and ask uh, for just a speedy recovery, that you'll restore health uh, to him. Uh, we're going to pray for all those who, who govern and who lead uh, this country. Uh, we will pray as well for, for the health of Biden and uh, his, his staff and his team as they campaign. Uh, but God, we, we just ask that all of these leaders um, would, would have your hand upon them, uh, would feel your presence in their life, and, and would lead our country uh, in a way that honors you. And so we're going to ask this this morning and pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Hey, well, we are in a series right now called Rebuild, and we've been studying the book of Nehemiah, and I don't really have time this morning to completely just like unpack like uh, all that we, we've already discussed encourage you to go back, listen to some past messages if, if you get a chance to do that. But, but essentially what's happened is the people of, of Judah turned their back on God. God allowed uh, uh, an invading army to come in, uh, the Babylonians, and carry them off into captivity. And so uh, we find that uh, over 100 years later, uh, a man named Nehemiah, he's going to be born and raised in captivity, cupbearer of the king. Now it's the Persian Empire because the Persians defeated the Babylonians. Uh, but he's going to pray this bold prayer. He's just going to pray this prayer recognizing that, God, we turned our back on you. We repent. We want to turn back to you. And, God, will you give me favor with the king to give me permission to go back to my homeland and start rebuilding the destroyed city of Jerusalem? Because uh, Nehemiah caught word that, that Jerusalem, uh, the remnant that was left there, was being constantly under attack. Their walls were torn down, and the walls, their first line of defense, needed to be rebuilt. God answers that prayer. Nehemiah goes back, takes a team with him, and uh, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the different kinds of opposition that Nehemiah has been experiencing in this attempt to rebuild uh, Jerusalem. And we're going to see this morning that in chapter 6 of, of Nehemiah, they actually complete the wall. They're actually able to rebuild uh, the wall in 52 days. I don't have time to get into that passage, but we're told that with God's help, with the strength of God, they're able to actually accomplish this amazing, this amazing feat. But just before they're able to do that, that's when the tactics of the enemy are the most extreme. Isn't that true in life? Like, it's just before our breakthrough. It's just before uh, we step into something new. It's just before God wants to do something great in our life that we experience the worst the enemy has to throw at us. And so this morning, that's what we're going to see. We're, we're going to see the, 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 the tactics that the enemy uses against Nehemiah and the people trying to rebuild uh, the city of Jerusalem. But this is important for us because 
We need to understand the tactics. We have a spiritual enemy, the devil, who, who wants to attack, who wants to discourage you, who wants you to give up on your, your faith and your relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. We need to understand the tactics the enemy uses. Some of you will remember in 2007 when uh, the New England Patriots got caught um, spying on other teams. You guys remember that? It was called Spygate. They, they got caught filming other teams so they could learn their play calls. Primarily it was the New York Jets they got caught doing this with, but who knows how many other teams they, they spied on. But why did the New England Patriots do this? Okay, well, one, it's because they're cheaters, okay? <laughs> Most of us know that. But two, it's because they understood something. They understood that when... We know the tactics of our opponent. We have the upper hand. If we understand the tactics of our enemy, the opponent, we get the advantage. We know what they're going to do before they even do it, and so we know how to act and react accordingly. And so that's why it's so important that we understand the tactics of the devil and uh, our, our, our enemy so that we will know how to act accordingly, so that we don't give up on what God wants to do in each one of our lives. Because I believe that. I believe God has a plan for each and every one of you. It's greater than you probably even realize. And it, it might not be something extreme. It might not be something that, you know, uh, is over the top or blows people away. But I, I just know for you and your soul and how he created you, he has something good for you. A good purpose and a good plan. Something that will fulfill your life. Something that when you stand before the king someday, uh, you will receive that crown with joy. Because you know you lived your life. For his kingdom, something significant, the most significant thing we can give our lives to. So we better understand the tactics because the enemy wants to use these tactics to get us off course from doing that. And so I'm just going to jump on in. Uh, here, I, I see three tactics in Nehemiah 6. Um, and, but here's the first one. Deception. Deception. The enemy wants to deceive. Okay. And so we see this in verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, this is one of the opposing enemies of Nehemiah, Tobiah and, and Geshem, the, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. So there's still work to be done at this point. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages of the plain of Ono. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I love that Ono, like... Oh, no. I mean, that should have been like maybe a, a warning to Nehemiah because obviously he, he, he realizes something is off here uh, because it goes on to say, but they were scheming to harm me. Nehemiah recognized that they were scheming to harm him, that this was a plot so they could draw him out and they could kill him. Verse, uh, this doesn't work because Nehemiah realizes they're, they're scheming to, to, to harm him. So they try a, a, a different kind of deception, change it up a little bit. Verse 10, we realize that one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, uh, the son of Mehetabol, who was shut in his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you, trying to scare Nehemiah here. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, 
but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sembalat had hired him. He's a false prophet. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to trap Nehemiah, get him to go into the temple to hide from a false threat, uh, and by doing that, he would have been committing a sin. The, the priests were, were supposed to go into the temple, not, not Nehemiah. He didn't have permission to do this, and, and he could potentially have even been stoned uh, to death for, for doing something like this. But it was a trap. They were trying to deceive him, to try to get him to do something uh, that was really the intention was to harm Nehemiah's uh, life. But in both uh, cases, Nehemiah is able to see through this. He's able to discern the situation and see through their tactic of deception. I put this in your handout if you have a handout, but to battle deception in our life, we have to have spiritual discernment. You and I need wisdom, wisdom that comes from God. We need spiritual discernment. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says something very interesting. It says that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It means Satan puts on this mask and pretends to be something that he's not. He really wants to harm us, but he masquerades. He goes around pretending to be an angel of light, not an angel of darkness. You know, if he showed up like a scary goat, you know, that some of us have seen in the pictures or <clears throat> had these giant horns or had a pitchfork, of, of course we would realize he's scary and we would, we would run. But that's not what the Bible says. He, he masquerades as an angel of light. He appears to be doing good. It seems like what he is saying is right. It seems like there's some truth to it. And that's why we need spiritual discernment to be able to see through his tactics. Uh, I was just talking with a friend uh, the other day, friend of, of mine, friend of Danielle's, and she's a single gal who's been in the dating world and she's been going on to like those websites like christianmingle.com and those kinds of things. And, and she was just telling a story after story of what she's been experiencing. And what she said is, I, I've been finding that, uh, you know, you go on these dates and you find out right away that these people claim to be Christians, their intentions aren't, aren't biblical. You find out pretty quickly that they're, they're not really Christians at all. She has a spiritual discernment to realize. And I just heard story after story of these nightmare scenarios. It may, nothing has done more to strengthen my marriage with Danielle, okay, than hearing what it is like right now to be, to be single. I was just like, oh my goodness, Danielle, I love you. Like, I'm so thankful for you. That's why my hope for you, because I know the dating world, the single, like, it is a hard world out there right now, uh, which is partly why my hope is if you are single, you'll find someone here, right here at Edinburgh Church. You just need to go out on a limb. How you doing? You know what I mean? And, and if you find someone and you end up getting married, okay, and having a son, you're going to name him Brent because I told you to do that, all right? Um, but no, that's, you know, you got to have spiritual discernment when it comes to your relationships. Some people might say they're Christian, but, but are, they, are, they really, are they really Christian? Um, Friends, just because a church is called a church, or, or just because a pastor is called a pastor, or just because someone has a white collar around their neck, listen, are they teaching that salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? Are they teaching that? 
I, I was at a funeral one time many years ago, and I heard the pastor basically sum it all up, and the pastor basically ended it by saying, as long as you're a good person, you're going to go to heaven when you die. Well, friends, that, that is the enemy masquerading as an angel of light. That doesn't ruffle any fe feathers. It sounds good. But guys, you know that's not what the Bible teaches, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through faith in me. And some of you, I know you grew up in traditions where you, you heard, like, as long as you get baptized. I was baptized as an infant. I was baptized as a child. So therefore, I'm, I'm a Christian. Or, or maybe you heard, I, I, you got to go through certain rituals. And as long as I do those rituals, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Or as long as I'm a good person. I don't know what you, you, you might have heard growing up. We hear story after story like that here at Edinburgh Church. But I'm, I'm here to, to tell us the Bible teaches that, that salvation is found in, in, in one man and, and no one else. And his name is, is Jesus. It's by putting our faith in Jesus who died on the cross for our sin, who paid the price for our sin and offers us forgiveness of our sin so that we can come into the presence of God. He is the one who made the sacrifice. We don't earn our salvation. Jesus earns our salvation for us. That's radically different. That's a paradigm shift. And that's good news, by the way. Amen? You don't have to earn your salvation. It's, it's ironic that believing in Jesus ruffles feathers, but it's actually really, really good news that I, I don't have to earn it. Christ earned it for me, and I put my faith in him, and I say, Jesus, you are sufficient, and I believe. And that brings salvation to all who are willing to put their faith in Jesus. Now, sometimes we, we, we then have this question. So, well, I thought we were supposed to get baptized. I thought I was supposed to do the rituals. I, I thought I was supposed to be a good person. Well, yes, but the difference is the motive of your heart. But why are you doing it? Are, are you doing it to earn God's love and earn God's favor and earn God's salvation? That's a wrong motive, friends. Sounds good. The one masquerading as an angel of light wants you to believe that. But we don't do these things to earn God's love and to earn his salvation. Rather, we recognize how compassionate and merciful and good Jesus is that he would come and he would do this for us and take our place on the cross and suffer the wrath of God so that you and I could come into a relationship with God and spend eternity with him. And in light of that, thanksgiving and gratitude spills out of our heart into wanting to be obedient to Christ. Do you see how that works? So, Jesus, you tell me to get baptized, that is the least I can do. I owe you my eternity. I owe you my life. You want me to take communion and do this in remembrance of you? Of course I will do that. You want me to grow and, 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 and to become more like you, Jesus? Of course I'm going to try to do that the best I can, even though I struggle in that. Not because I'm trying to earn something, but in light of what you have done for me. Friends, we need spiritual discernment to understand these things because it's countercultural, counterintuitive, and it's a paradigm shift from how we think. But God says he'll give us wisdom if we ask, and so we should ask. But this is the first tactic of the enemy. He wants to use deception in all of our lives. And so here's the second tactic that I see in Nehemiah 6. It's, it's the tactic of distraction. Distraction. Okay, again, verse 2. Nehemiah says, they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? So he doesn't, 
he, he realizes they're not just trying to deceive me here. They're trying to distract me from, from my work and my calling as well. And, and the enemy wants to do that in our life. I mean, you've been given a great calling. You've been given a great purpose to live for God, to have a relationship with the living God and to live your life for him. And I'm telling you, just in your everyday life, just you're, you're taking up your cross each and every day, following him, the enemy wants to get in there and he wants to distract you from that. And I got to be honest, I can be guilty of this. I can be guilty of getting distracted. One of the things that's I've come to realize recently is distracting for me. It's just my cell phone. Anybody else? I mean, it's just those apps and different things going on that I can look up, and I, I just can get carried away on myself. I, I, I just heard that the average adult looks at their cell phone once every 15 minutes. And I believe that. I started thinking, I was like, that might be true of me. Like, that's sad. You know, if, if, if I'm not at work, at least, I got to say that because we got some board members in here. Okay, so when I'm not at work, but like, like, that is like true of me. Like, once every 15 minutes, I probably do. I'm, I'm close to that. Just checking something, wanting to know my fantasy football team. How's that? I don't know what it might be for you. But there's all kinds of distractions in, in our life. For some of you, it's social media. You're just always on social media, just having to see what's going on in everybody's life. I don't know. I'm telling you my opinion here. This isn't scripture. I'm just not sure we were meant to have so many relationships, to know what's going on in so many different people's lives. I'm not sure it's good for us. Okay? Now, I like social media and keeping, you know, up to date with certain people, and I want them to stay in contact with me. Uh... But for some of us, it becomes this major distraction. You get FOMO, fear of missing out. You know, you see that somebody got invited to something you didn't get invited to, and it just becomes this major discouragement and distraction in, in, in your life. So maybe you need to consider like a fast from, from social media and, um, you know, maybe give it a break. From, well, unless you're watching Edinburgh Church live online, then, then you, tune, you tune in, okay? Uh, but other than that, I, I don't know. Some of us, I just think we maybe need a fast because it's distracting. It might be the news for you and what's going on in the world. All of this. None of these things, by the way, are bad in and of themselves. You understand that, right? It's just that they can become a distraction. And so the question is, how do I know when I'm distracted? Because they're not bad. It's okay to do these. It's okay to have a phone. It's okay to go on social media. Okay to watch the news and be aware of what's going on in the world. But how do I know it's gotten to the point of distraction? I, I think this is the warning sign. Again, I put this in your hand. I think it's when there's a lack of prayer in your life. I think when there's a lack of prayer in your life, uh, you are distracted. And I, I can be the first to say I can be guilty of this. I find myself not praying. Now, or I'll pray these popcorn prayers here and there, but they're these really quick prayers. And there's nothing against popcorn prayers. But sometimes we do need to sit down and just spend some time with God in prayer. And listen. And have a relationship with him. And talk to him and commune with him in prayer. I was talking with some friends, uh, some really good friends of mine this past, uh, this past week. And they're both in a situation where they feel like they're called to more than what they're doing at their current job. And so they're starting to kind of look and wonder if they should be doing something else. I'm starting to feel pretty strongly about it. Um, but they're not sure, like, should they just wait for something to fall in their lap, or do they need to be proactive about it? They're in that struggle. 
And it got me thinking uh, about many years ago when I was working at a different church. And I started to have that same feeling, like I'm called to something more than this. But I didn't know what to do. And then the Holy Spirit talked to me, spoke to me, through my wife. How many of you found the Holy Spirit likes to talk to you men through your, your wife? And she said, you need to spend some time in prayer. And so I did. And I um, carved out like an hour or so uh, just to spend some time with God and just to pray and just to listen. Uh, if, if there was anything I was supposed to do, if he had anything for me. And I got this prompting during that time. It didn't come right away. It wouldn't have come with a popcorn prayer. But as I spent more and more time uh, in, in, in this prayer, I got this prompting. I'm supposed to go and talk with the leader of this church. His name is Jerry Schomer. I'm supposed to go in. He was the lead pastor. I'm supposed to go have a conversation with him and tell him how I'm feeling. Now, that was scary for me because he's the lead pastor. And, and, if, he, and if I tell him I'm thinking about looking and I'm, I'm interested in leaving and doing something more, I mean, he's going to start thinking, okay, well, i got to find a replacement. i got to find somebody else, Right? So this was, a, this was a scary leap, but I took the step anyways because God had put that on my heart to do that. I went and I talked to him, and he said, I want to set up a meeting with another leader. His name was Dan Carlson. Dan Carlson at the time was the, the regional director of, of our network that we're a part of, the Converge Network. And so I talked with Dan. Well, Dan happened to be in contact with a search committee of a church that was looking for a lead pastor, and that church was Edinburgh Church. And so unbeknownst to me, the search committee of Edinburgh Church starts spying on me and, and, and coming and, and, and listening to me when I would preach at this, other, at this other church, and now here I am, the lead pastor of Edinburgh Church, about eight years, eight years later. And so all of my struggles and all of my challenges being the lead pastor of Edinburgh Church, I can now squarely blame on my wife, Danielle, okay, <laughs> who spoke to me all those years ago and said, um, you know, this is, uh, no, friends, honestly, being your lead pastor has been the greatest blessing of my life. I don't just serve you. You have served me in ways that I can't even put into words, in, in the ways I can't even describe, you've helped me to grow as a person in ways that I can't even help. I, I, I don't have words for it. I don't fully even understand it all. I just know it is, it is one of the greatest honors a person could ever have, and I am so thankful to be your lead pastor. And my point is, I would have missed out on all of it if I hadn't prayed all those years ago. And I just wonder, what are we missing out on in our lives, what else have I missed out on? Because I was so distracted, I didn't spend time with God in prayer. Friends, we gotta, we gotta find, we gotta get rid of those distractions that want to get in the way of our relationship with God, because that is one of Satan's tactics in our life. But I gotta get to this third tactic. I could say a lot more on that, because I believe this is his favorite tactic in our life. He wants to demoralize with shame. He wants to demoralize us with shame. Okay, listen, verse 5. Sanballat sent his aid to me with the, the same message. And in his hand, listen to this, was an unsealed letter in which was written. Now, this is interesting that this letter is unsealed. Typically, you seal the letter so that nobody else could read it. Sanballat wants this letter to be unsealed so that everybody can read it. And here's what it says. 
It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. Hey, there is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, the king of Persia, who gave them permission to go and do this great project. Imagine what trouble that would cause. So he's saying, let us, let us, let us meet together. We need, to, we need to fix this. We need to deal with this. Again, this letter is unsealed so that everybody can read this. And, and, and while a lot of this is, is not truthful, he wasn't trying to become their king. But the hope was that the people of Judah would be able to have an independent nation again. Sam Ballad is using this to make Nehemiah feel bad and to shame him before the king who gave him permission to, to go back. Okay? I believe this is one of the favorite tools of, of the enemy. He loves to use shame. He loves to demoralize us by using shame uh, in, in our lives. Um, because he knows if he can shame us, we will give up. And so many of us just walk around feeling ashamed. Satan wants that because he knows when we do that, we, we, give, we say, what's the point? And we give up. Brene Brown, who's an expert on this topic of shame, she says, shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we can change. When you're ashamed, you, you just say, well, what's the point? I can't change anyways. What, what does it matter? And, and by the way, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is feeling bad about what you have done. Shame is feeling bad about who you are. Shame has to do with your identity, who you are. And so I put this in your handout because I believe this is very important. One way we battle shame is we have to know who we are in Christ. You have to know who you are in Christ, friends. I'm just telling you this because... I'm your lead pastor who loves you. I talk to so many Christians who they just don't know who they are in Christ. Do you realize that the Bible teaches that you are the righteousness of God? That if you are in Jesus, you are the righteousness of God? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Talking about Christ. Taking all of our junk all of our sin, past, present, future, in himself, in his body, on the cross, out of us, into him. So that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. He didn't just take all of our junk. He gives us his perfect righteous standing before God. See, this is why it's so important that Jesus lived a perfect righteous life. The Bible says he fulfilled the law in our place. You and I were supposed to fulfill the law. To go to heaven, to be in a relationship with God, you and I had to fulfill the law. But we couldn't fulfill the law. So Christ came and fulfilled the law for you and me and earns that status. And when we put our faith in him, the Father gives us that perfect righteous status. Here's what that means for you. This is very important. When the Father looks at you, he sees perfection. 
Did you know that? See, I, I went to Bible school and seminary and learned these things. And I remember saying, you shouldn't have to go to Bible school and seminary to hear these things and learn these things. Why, why aren't more churches teaching? When you put your faith in Christ, you receive the righteousness of Christ given to you. That's why the Bible uses language like we are clothed in Christ. We are hidden in Christ. It means that your Father in heaven sees you as perfect in his sight. And some of us say, but I'm not perfect. I got my struggles. I'm dealing with this temptation over here. I keep falling victim to this. Okay, yes, the Father is aware of that. But that's what the Christian life is. It's becoming who the Father says you already are. Jesus is our standard. And the Christian life is trying to catch up with how the Father already sees us and how the Father already counts us. This is why, by the way, we get to come into the Father's presence. You can't come in before a holy God unless you are perfectly holy. Well, we're not perfectly holy, but through faith we've been given the holiness of Christ. Are you seeing why this is so important? This is who you are. Be able to walk with our head a little higher. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. Okay? This also means that you are then now called a child of God. You're a child of God if you've received that. Uh, I love using this uh, analogy. I joked about this before, but, you know, it's, it's the mother with the baby going around and showing everyone and saying, Oh, look at my little baby. Isn't, isn't he and she's so beautiful? And, you know, and there's some of those cases where you're just like, yeah, yeah. You don't even know what, you're, what to say. You're just like, he looks like his father, all right. You know, you know, it's like you don't even know what to say. But the mother is just like, don't. Apparently when I was born, I had like a cone head for a while. And people would be like, I hope his head's going to, you know, secretly, like, you know. But, 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 but my mom just doted on me, just like loved me. Proverbs even talks about this, the mystery of a mother with a child. Why did God put that in creation? Why did God create that love of a mother? In a, because it's trying to tell us how our God feels about us. When we become Christians, when we, when we become saved by faith in this, this Christ. We become the children, the children of God. God has this kind of affection for you and me. So I love verses. I mean, don't hear me wrong on this, okay? I love verses like John 3, 16, which says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. I mean, love that verse, and that should get us telling other people about Christ and wanting others to see other people come to know Jesus, this general love that God has for the world. But Christian, do you understand that God has a unique, special kind of love for you if you're in Christ? It's a, it's a higher love. It's a, it's a unique kind of love, right? It's, this is like a higher, I don't know why I'm jumping, okay? Except it's, it's, this, I want it. So like, I want you to understand, like, it is a higher love. It's, it's different than what he has for the rest of the world. If you need to understand this if you're in Christ. It, this is why Paul used language like you have been called. You have been chosen, you, you, you are elect. That's why Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Friends, are you hearing this? Amen, it's a unique love calling. Like you're saying, well, I'm the one that came to church. I'm the one that heard the gospel. That's because God called you to it. It opened up the, the eyes of your heart to be able to see this. And I know there's some who say, yeah, but, you know, we have to ultimately choose. And I hear that and I get that. And could I be wrong on this? 
No, I'm not wrong, okay? You are called. You are chosen. This is what Paul says. And I need you to understand it so that you understand that you have been loved with a love that goes before the foundations of the world. I'm going to jump again for that. Christian, we got to understand who we are. Walking around with our head down. Yeah. You are a child of the most high God who loved you before you were ever born. Oh. This means if you're a child of his, you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. What's your inheritance? Eternal glory with God. I mean, just spending eternity. That's what this means. And no matter what happens in this world or in this life, the best is still yet to come. And that has been secured and paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's given you the Holy Spirit as a down payment so that you know it's true. I got to say, you got to walk in these things. And, and, and so someone I follow, her name's uh, uh, Caroline Leaf. She, she's a Christian neuroscience uh, scientist. She studies the brain, and they've been able to use nanotechnology to actually see how thoughts now form in the brain. And they've learned that, um, they, they, she said they look like trees. They see these thoughts forming in people's, they look like trees. Um, but she said what they've learned is they watch these thoughts grow in someone's mind to become a completed thought that takes root in someone's brain. It takes 21 days. It takes 21 days, okay? And, and if you mess up one of those days or especially two of those days, you generally have to start the whole process over again. Why is this important for you? Because you can't just hear a message like this and walk out and say, okay, yeah, I know who I am in Christ. Friends, you've got to start preaching this to yourself every single day. Maybe you need to write a note card to yourself. Maybe you need to memorize some Bible verse. Maybe you need to put something in your car that reminds you or you know, at your desk at work. But you've got to preach these truths to yourself. So as Paul said, through the renewing of the mind, We can know who we are, and we can be changed. Okay, I'm going to end with this. I just heard this story about the Golden Gate Bridge in the 1930s when it was being built. It was the largest suspension bridge that had ever been created at the time. 23 men died working on this this bridge. And so what they did is they created the largest net that had ever been created, a safety net. Not only did it save 10 people's lives who fell and would have died in, into the icy waters had it not been for that net, uh, they, they completed the work in almost half the time. It sped up the work almost in half. Why? Because they realized that they were safe. They realized they were safe and it freed them to work. In the same way, friends, we don't have to be afraid of the enemy We don't have to be afraid of his tactics. Why? Because we know that Jesus is with us. He is our safety net. We know that God has our life in his hands. And and even when at times we are a little deceived, I get deceived at times. And even when we are distracted at times, I get distracted. And even when I forget who I am at times, I have a Jesus who walks with me through it all. 
and who's there to catch me even when I fall. And what does he do? He says, come on, let's get up and let's start living again. Friends, if you would know that, that you've got a great safety net underneath you, this God who holds the world in his hands and he holds your life in his hands and he's with you every step of the way. You can be free to live your life for him. And so this morning, we're going to end by taking communion. And I hope you were able to grab one of the cups on your way in. You just peel that first layer to get to the wafer. Peel the next layer, you'll get to the juice. And I'm just going to give you time to do that and to reflect. But as, as we do this, my, my hope for you and my heart for you is you would just connect your heart with God. Maybe there's something God wants to tell you this morning. And maybe you would just open the ears of your heart just to listen. Maybe you need to ask for some wisdom this morning. I know God will give you that. And maybe some of you just need to reflect on who you are. And what we can do in all of this is say, thank you, Jesus, as I take your body and as I drink what represents your blood, I'm reminded all of this is possible because of your perfect life, your death, your burial, and your resurrection from that cross, which you did for me because you loved me with that kind of love. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And so, Jesus, right now, we just want to give you thanksgiving. That's what we want to do. We want our hearts to be filled with gratitude. We want our hearts to be filled with thanksgiving. As we're reflected that you are with us right now in this room, that you care about us, that you love us, and that you have a great plan for each of us. And even if we have fallen, even if we have struggled, we know you're there to forgive us, you're there to wash us, and you're there to help us get back up and start following after you again. That's what we choose to do this day, and we pray this in your name. Amen.